two, three, go. Okay. Welcome to Sports Mad Res's This Week in Review podcast, where we highlight the recent news in sports medicine research. So thanks to everybody for joining today to have this discussion about the implications of the COVID-19 pandemic on sports medicine research. I'd like, before we get started, to just have each of you kind of go around and introduce yourselves. I think a lot of people probably know some of your contributions to sports medicine research um, website, but give you a chance to kind of introduce yourselves to the audience. Steve, do you want to get us started? Sure. I'm Steve Thomas. I'm associate professor at Temple University, um, and I run our arms lab, our adaptation to repetitive motion and stress. Uh, So we study a lot in uh, the shoulder of overhead athletes. Um, and I'm also uh, one of the co-founders with Jeff of Sports Medicine uh, Research Site. So. Thanks, Steve. And Nikki, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. I'm um, Nikki Catano from Westchester University, where I'm an associate professor and the graduate program coordinator for our post-professional program. Um, I also serve as our university's uh, West, or the co-chair for our Westchester University IRB so we've been dealing with some some interesting things as this has been going on. Thanks. And Jane? Hi, my name is Jane McDevitt. I am an assistant professor at Temple University, and I run the sport concussion lab uh, where many of our um, athletes will perform their baseline and post-concussion testing, and we are looking at um, biomarkers and risk factors for risk of concussion as well as risk of prolonged recovery. Great. Thanks, everyone. So I think over the past few weeks or months, we've been seeing kind of how the pandemic is starting to have its effect on research, both in good and bad ways, Um, good ways such as fostering new collaborations and showing how quick IRBs and clinical trial teams can get up and running and working together across the country and across the world, but also in how uh, some of the problems we have and how information gets disseminated from the research community. What I was hoping we could talk a little bit about today was how this might be specifically affecting us within sports medicine. And I kind of wanted to open it up to you from your perspectives at your institutions and your your labs, how you think the pandemic is going to be having an immediate effect on sports medicine research and how it might impact things down the road a little bit. So, yeah, I guess I could start. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, for the most part, it's, it's not really essential research right now at most universities. So everything that was going on, it really came to a halt. So especially if it's prospective data, um, you know, it stopped. And now you're going to have kind of a, a partial study at best. So depending on how many data points you had leading up to this, uh, you know, you're going to be very limited. Um, and if you're doing, say, like a pre-post period of time uh, where you're only going to have a, a pre and a post measurement, uh, you're not going to have that post, so you, you really don't have a longitudinal study now. So I think that's going to have a, a big effect, and I've heard some of that already in the baseball community. So a lot of studies that MLB was running or are those uh, involved in Major League Baseball organizations, they had a lot of that preliminary data at spring training, but now it's done. Um, and, you know, it's really not going to have the same study design even if the season picks back up. Um, so, you know, that I think those types of studies are, are really going to be a, a, have a detrimental effect. And 
you got to look at it's it's probably going to be a, a one year lag really um, because to get this going again if you're doing you know with sports and teams you have to wait for the next season to kind of start all over again so it's not just you know however many months this is going to last it's really a full year lag you're going to see i think and then there's always that possibility that this could kick in again with a second or third wave and cause even more problems down the road like that yeah absolutely what I think is also interesting is, yes, a lot of our research has come to a screeching halt and we're trying to figure out creatively, is there anything that's clinically meaningful that we can pull from, from the information that we have? Um, if, if and when, or when we get back up and running, um, there might be implications just as far as um, training and you know, whether or not folks try to just come straight back and full force from a load perspective um, I think could really have an effect on some of that prospective data that you might start to collect again, because they're going from situations where they might not be nearly as active um, or training like they should be. Um, and then they're going to try to kind of re-enter. Um, and so I think we're really going to have to be cautious um, in a load monitoring situation when we're looking at certain outcomes. And that's interesting from the point of view of just, you know, that might impact if you were doing an injury prevention study or you're tracking the effect of, injury prevention implementation, you could have a surge of new injuries after this potentially if people don't return in an ideal situation. And then that could create some funky data that we might not fully appreciate. So one thing that we're doing at the uh, Sport Concussion Lab and actually um, kind of going off of what uh, Nikki said, as well as what um, Steve, you brought to the, um, our program meeting last week is, you know, how, what is the stress that the athletes are feeling right now? So, you know, bringing that into the baseline testing um, and trying to think of, you know, can we still possibly prepare for, you know, we don't know when we're going to be going back. And like you said, Jeff, if we're going to be going back and then, you know, um, having to go back into uh, remote, you know, just so just getting some baseline testing done, you know, as we can and trying to think about how we can best maybe start this remotely if possible and starting to think about implementing a lot more patient reported outcome measures um, that assess anxiety, stress, sleep, you know, the uh, some athletes might be sleeping a lot more, but there are some athletes that might be under a lot more stress because um, you know, their athletic identity has is changed. Uh, their very scheduled, um, you know, day-to-day living has changed. And then obviously their, you know, their practices, um, and their physical activity levels have probably drastically changed, you know, based off the equipment, not having, you know, a lot of equipment possibly. So, uh, one thing that we're doing, you know, to try and get on top of it and try and really think about, you know, how could this really affect not just um, the data and the research, but their athletes and um, is by, you know, thinking of ways of collecting remotely, uh, as well as um, bringing in um, extra measures, um, you know, to, to assess. Yeah, I just want to add to I think, um, what Nikki brought up was really important with when we think about re-entering these athletes, and we're going to see this on the professional level for sure. Um, yeah. You know, so baseball had a proposed plan of around May, um, 
and they were going to play some games in Arizona. But, you know, these, these guys obviously are trying to keep up with their training at home. Um, but you're limited. You know, you're not at big gyms. You're not, uh, you're not able to really throw as much of a volume as you can normally. Um, so if they just start the season right, you know, like a switch and we're going to start playing games, these individuals haven't ramped up to that level yet and, and really have to have somewhat, I think, of an, a, you know, a, a small spring training to build up that good in-game, especially from a pitching perspective. Um, if not, we're going to see a huge surge of injuries, you know, within the first month or two. Um, but it does propose some interesting data to look at, you know, then, uh, you know, what are the kind of rate of injuries throughout the season compared to previous seasons? Because now we have this very truncated season. You know, we usually play 162 games. Now maybe if we play half of that, we'll be lucky. Does that equate at the end of smaller amounts of injuries, even per exposure? Um, so I think that could give some potential evidence of, you know, maybe kind of truncating the season permanently. Um, I think it's a bit ridiculous, to be honest, that we, they play 162 games. You know, when you look at every other sports season, it is no, no sport comes close to that. Mm. Um, and yes. it's just it's just too much um, on these these guys now, especially for how hard they throw um, and how hard they train year round. So yeah, I, I think it's going to bring to light a lot of interesting things. Yeah, it's a lot of things for people to think about as they start returning their athletes back to play eventually. That, you know, we have all these discussions about starting up the economy. It's also a question within the sports medicine community of how do we start up our athletes again? Um, and I think this also raises the idea that we need to be thinking a lot about um, the implications of this for future evidence that could inform sports medicine. And you know, this isn't going to be something that we're just going to see affecting papers for the next year or two. This could potentially be in papers for the next five, 10 years. And, you know, at the website, we're often focused on what's the key t- things to take out of a paper to kind of un- appreciate the generalizability of that specific finding to our clinical practice. So, I mean, going forward, are there certain things that the three of you are going to be looking at within a paper to kind of see, could there be some kind of weird generalizability issue here because of the pandemic? I think, Jeff, that's a great question. I think that understanding when the data was collected is going to be important because if we're trying to get an idea of is it the former normal or the new normal um, in regards to what we were looking at. Um, To Jane's point, there's a ton of new things that we, I think, are being made more aware of that we can incorporate, which will ultimately long-term probably benefit um, the research and the patients that we're, we're working with. Um, but I think in interpreting the findings from a paper, I think really understanding when the data collection and the research study went on might be important just to see, was it a fluke or is it possibly generalizable, you know, um, for what we're currently looking at? Yeah. And just to jump off, off that even further, um, is was any of this collected via a telehealth or in, on, in an online format um, based off of a very controlled clinical? Um, I'm not sure if that's going to add external validity or if we're going to be comparing apples and oranges. So um, that's another thing that I think we're going to um, be looking for in regards to especially some of this pre-post or prospective um, data collection. 
Yeah, I agree with all that. I mean, it's it's going to be tricky. You just have to read with a fine-tooth comb. And I think even if you're looking at it from a re reviewer standpoint, if you're reviewing some of these, uh, as a reviewer, you have to ask these questions. Um, and I think, you know, it might need to be a blanket statement in publications that have collected data kind of throughout this span is, you know, part of this data was collected during the COVID-19 pandemic, um, just to kind of bring readers aware and say, eh, okay, let me look at this from that perspective. And maybe it might, you know, introduce some really interesting findings, but just to make people aware, because, you know, over time too, if you read this article 50 years from now, people are going to forget that, you know, this even, not necessarily that it happened, but they're going to, you know, forget the time frame forget that that I should even be aware of that you know so I think just to keep the historicness of this event to the data I think you know this kind of blanket statement should probably be included in most kind of publications if, if it was collected during this time yeah, and, do you think, and do you think moving forward you know having this kind of historical time um, do you think that having that blanket statement you know would um, would anyone that be collecting during the COVID-19 pandemic, you know, would their data be excluded from, you know, things like systematic reviews later on? Yeah, I was thinking about that. And you kind of have to wonder that if you start doing a meta-analysis, you kind of need to check to see if the studies from this period are going to start becoming outliers to the data. Sure. Yeah. I, go ahead. Uh, sorry. There, there, I was just saying there's a lot of trickle effects that, you know, many of which we probably didn't even anticipate or think of yet. All I was going to say is that it's going to be interesting because as publications start coming out, I would say within the next three to five year period, it's going to be very gray as far as was it potentially data that researchers were sitting on and then had time to actually mm -hmm. get published um, at this phase or was it actually collected like during the pandemic? Mm -hmm. um, but what's been really neat to me and I think just for the greater overall cl like clinical world is the fact that athletic trainers have been able to step up and, you know, work via telehealth, you know, so I think there's a lot more opportunity for research kind of in, in those areas, um, looking at alternative modes of delivery for athletic training education, sports medicine education, um, and whether or not that's been effective in career preparedness, um, you know, so just thinking of a little bit of a positive spin amidst some of the, the negativity. I definitely think that this will open up and I think this really kind of forced us to take on telehealth in a new open arms kind of light. And I, and I do think that we were heading there, but very, very slowly, very slowly. And I think now, especially now that we probably had our nieces, nephew, children, you know, having to do appointments via telehealth and actually getting exposed and experiencing how um, telehealth could be helpful and how to work and, you know, perform telehealth. I think um, that'll also kind of continue to open up the doors and, and drive, um, you know, athletic training further into um, utilizing telehealth appropriately. Yeah, it's kind of like expediting us to finally actually move into the 21st century. Right. <laughs> well, it's a, a supply and demand thing, right? There's yeah. demand right now. And so there's going to be companies that are really going to step up and provide mm -hmm. that kind of platform to do these things, you know, and they exist already, but I think you're going to see more popping up and probably much more refinement of these platforms that it makes it, you know, you have to think about 
confidentiality and HIPAA mm-hmm. and everything else. And, you know, you need a lot of security built into these platforms so that you don't violate any of those things. So I think that's, you know, you're going to see this happen and it's going to get, you know, there's going to be a stronger push. Yeah. Uh, probably. And, and people, now that they were forced to do it, they're like, oh, this isn't so bad. Um, it's probably, you know, maybe it could expand our market of patients we could view now, you know? So um, if you're a, a top-notch surgeon in Philadelphia, wow, I could still see somebody in Texas and they don't have to get on a plane to fly to see me. We could mm-hmm. still do this. And, and maybe this is a new market for hospitals to, you know, um, to try to market to get patients from outside areas. Yeah, you wonder if this can kind of help some of the systems that are sending athletic trainers to multiple high schools and different settings to give them another tool within their toolbox to uh, reach out. And it also introduces the idea of potentially doing some research to test the evidence behind those um, outreach programs. Absolutely. And Nikki, getting back to how... um how online learning and online teaching can be effective. I mean, I, cause I know with the new 2020 uh, standards that eight week immersion, you know, where they could be in a whole different state and still needing to do online assessments and, you know, online classes. So we really do need to, you know, this really did kind of help and force and bring us together to think about, okay, well, how are we going to teach these hands-on very, uh, clinical skills and have these clinical um, advanced clinical discussions remotely without, you know, these um, patients and practicing and these hands-on techniques in front of us. Um, and I think that that is another line of research that is necessary anyway. And that this, you know, thinking on the bright side, that this really is, you know, forcing us to dig, to dig deep and, you know, think outside the box much quicker than, you know, we probably would have, um, over the summer to get prepared for the 2020 standards. Not to be the Debbie Downer, but with you guys having students that are doing research, how do you see this affecting students involved in sports medicine research and their, uh, the influence it might have on their research careers? I know I had a discussion with my graduate student today at our, um, at Temple, the uh, graduate program, um, they perform a, a master's project and it's and they do it within two years. And so really it only ends up lending them to have maybe uh, two or three semesters worth of data collection, depending on, you know, their, um, the extent to which their IRB and their, you know, clinical demands are. So, um, and I had to have a discussion, you know, that we may not be able to perform your project. And we had to think about, you know, ways of, reforming um, the protocol uh, without losing kind of the the key take-home, you know, points that we wanted to try and make um, and the story that we wanted to tell. Um, And, you know, we're going to have to do some telehealth and um, working with technology using some different apps um, and researching some different apps that uh, that we'll be able to collect from. But like you guys said earlier in the beginning of the conversation, without any athletes, without anybody performing their consistent um, practices, I don't know how well this will be able to translate into a full story anyway. Um, because what we were looking for is like pre and post a season, 
And if there's not going to be a season, you know, what story are we going to tell? Are we going to just say, you know, pre and post one session of remote physical activity? You know, so uh, right now um, I have some students that are going to be um, that are going to be able to do their research and that we're reconforming instead of having in-person concussion education. We're going to do concussion education videos and deliver that you know, via a link instead of in the lab. Um, but then some others that we're looking at, you know, repetitive head impact and, and the possible effects pre and post a season, we have to rethink that. And you know, like I said, we're going to, we're going to look at um, different apps and uh, reconfigure kind of what story we're going to say, but it's difficult. Jane, I think that's a great approach. Um, you know, Westchester similar in that we have theses or projects over the course of two years. Um, so at, at this point in the semester, we have a lot of our, our projects trying to wrap up. And what was really interesting to me is when I met with my graduate student and just the sheer, because of everything going on in the world, there was just this real lack of motivation and lack of belief that she was really going to be able to get it done. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was really set up in a, a stage that was probably much better than her peers were. But I think what was important to think about is, is where her research project was really well done, just kind of the gravity of everything going on in the world. It became less of a priority for her. Mm. So it took some time just chatting with her and really kind of trying to re-motivate her. Um, and, and we just had a, a call this morning and she's ready to defend and she's done an outstanding job. Mm. Um, but, you know, so it was, it, was, it was a little disheartening to see that. And it reminded me it's not all just about the research and the work. Um, you had to step back and kind of treat people like people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like that she could power through and do it. And then on the flip side, we've got our year ones getting ready to propose and they have all these fantastic ideas, you know, so to your point, we're proposing the story as if we're going to return to the old normal, like everything's going to be fine. Um, but we are developing contingency plans and understanding what might be clinically meaningful And whether it's, you know, conducting a systematic review of previous information versus kind of doing your own original research as possible opportunities um, or doing needs assessments, um, you know, and and gauging an idea of knowledge and awareness, you know, so that we can figure out are the problems that we can solve um, once we kind of return um, to to athletics life. Yeah, I did similar approaches. So, you know, luckily our students graduating this year had all their data collected. Um, one literally finished three subjects uh, the day before we closed campus. That was like perfect. Um, But, you know, in the event that that didn't happen, we obviously would have, you know, allowed that uh, to be enough data to kind of tell a story. And maybe it wasn't publishable, but maybe it would have been kind of preliminary data and somebody else could take it on next year and kind of, you know, finish it up and collect more subjects. Um, so there's always ways to kind of work around it, but, you know, from a publication standpoint, it wouldn't have probably got published in that form. Um, luckily that didn't happen and, and we had enough power, but for our first years that are upcoming, yeah, it's, it's basically, okay, we're going to propose this idea in the event that in the fall we're back and we're back to normal activity. But if that doesn't happen, then, you know, we have to have this kind of backup plan. And from my perspective, uh, the type of data we collect, we can't do remotely. So, um, it would, you know, our approach is really going to just do a systematic review. Um, and the pro- project was centered around that. So, you know, I think that was our, 
that's our approach and and we may see more systematic reviews popping up just because of that because it's it's something we don't you know you don't need to collect on on subjects on you don't have to uh, you could do it remotely um, you don't need IRB uh, and it's not that it's less work it's systematic reviews are a lot of work but um, you know it does the, in the current state it, it's probably the best opportunity to be successful in a project mm-hmm. And Steve, you brought up generational research, you know, and and for me, this pandemic is really going to slow down, I think, the ability for the students to be mentors to other students. Um, And we might just lose a little bit of traction because I think that's a really valuable experience for them to understand that they are the expert or or relative expert within the area. Um, So I'm I'm a little nervous about that. Um, But, you know, I know that we'll bounce back and everything will be okay. So related to that positive note, um, what message would you give to people that are starting to think about, that are graduating with their PhDs or considering getting into sports medicine research? Um, What recommendation or advice do you have for them? I mean, I think one of the things that I would still say is, you know, don't, don't lose your research line. Don't, you know, you don't have to, um, take steps back research wise because, because of what's happening. Um, but I, I would suggest, you know, thinking outside the box and thinking about your research line and how you could utilize telehealth or how could you utilize, um, home exercise plans or preventative plans, things that they can do on their own at home, um, that can be tracked and logged remotely. Um, you know, thinking, thinking about, some of the things that they've been having to see or do remotely because of school um, and some of the hurdles that they've had to overcome. Think about those hurdles and how you can turn that into, you know, a research project. Jane, I thought you had some really good advice there. Um, And similarly, I just want to say that, you know, I think that folks should continue to examine their passions. And oftentimes when things get difficult or uncomfortable, that's when some of the biggest difference makers and in innovation can occur, you know, so coming out with all that energy, I think there's a, a unique opportunity to make a big splash um, and to not to be uh, discouraged by what's going on. Well said. Yeah. And, and really just taking this time to, you know, strategize and think about possibilities and, and, and problem solve. Right. So, you know, one thing, you could, you know, take this on and get stressed and say, oh, well, this is just, it's not going to work and kind of give up on it. But, or you could take the other approach of saying, okay, this is just a problem. This is just a small roadblock. Let's find solutions for it and move forward. And that's what being, having a PhD or or being a researcher is all about, right? We're trying to answer questions that there's no answers for. And it's always roadblocks and it's always problems. Um, So, you know, in, you know, from a positive spin of it, this is a learning opportunity for them to try to kind of become good problem solvers and, and say, okay, yeah, we had this setback, but you know, how do we work around it? And this is where creativity comes out. And like Nikki said, that innovation that normally wouldn't have kind of popped up or came into somebody's head because they were never pushed against that wall. You know, so. Yeah. I think that's a great point with the research. And I think, you know, kind of staying true to our mission, our website's mission is, you know, this is also a great opportunity for us to learn from the other fields and how they're, handling this uh, pandemic and the lessons learned from data dissemination and how we can be better communicators. You know, I think too often 
um, the sports medicine community, uh, particularly in the research area, we tend to write our papers to other researchers and not always to our audience for the journals. Um, and it can also open up opportunities to look at how some of the scientists right now are finding online social media platforms that are kind of unique to get the word out to disseminate public health messaging. I think there's a lot to learn from the public health arena that, you know, it's been, they've been doing it for years, but it's a good example to young investigators on how they can promote their research and really get the word out. You know, we always focus on kind of a key take home message on each of our uh, article summaries. So I was wondering, you know, Granted, we're only in the um, beginning, hopefully half of the pandemic, but um, what would your take-home message be so far for listeners and clinicians, and that includes researchers as well? I would say, uh, you know, really just use utilize this time, you know, in the best way possible. So, you know, you can't be collecting data and you can't be, uh, you know, doing these kind of physical research steps but it's a good time to reflect and think and kind of, you know, expand your mind and to the possibilities of what we could look at in the future. And, you know, think of creative ways or study designs to kind of enhance the questions we want to look at and, and try to get answers to, um, uh, or make headway on, you know, data that we had or look at it a different way. Or, you know, these, these types of strategies that there's always something we could be doing. Um, and, you know, just try to think about those and, and start making headway um, right now when you have the opportunity. I think, uh, you know, one thing to really, that I really see is, you know, teamwork. And I think, Jeff, you mentioned it, you mentioned it, um, you know, really eloquently, like we need to be interdisciplinary and I think we need to, you know, utilize technology. Um, and I think if we, do what you know Steve suggested if we are creative uh, if we continue um, you know our research lines and our passions in a creative way utilizing an interdisciplinary approach and technology we can come out of this even stronger yeah I mean I agree with everything that's already been said I think it, it this is a a good moment to pause and make sure that our priorities are kind of appropriate um, and then from there to kind of adapt and overcome and figure out a way to balance the personal life, you know, the craziness of society, in addition to our, our passions um, to try to put forward um, the sports medicine community. And I think now more than ever, the interdisciplinary um, component is definitely emphasized that we're all kind of striving for the same purpose. And I really hope that that energy kind of and momentum continues forward. I think those are all great points. I think the other thing that I've kind of seen with the pandemic is, you know, a lot of the treatment ideas and innovative approaches that are being used to treat patients right now are coming from the frontline clinicians who have an idea that's kind of might be out there, but it seems to make sense to their mind. And then, you know, they start getting more and more data and it seems to either at least inspire, it could at least inspire trials that may lead to the answer. And to a certain extent, you know, athletic trainers are really creative in their treatment decisions and how they do things. And I know we have a lot of clinicians right now that are doing telehealth or might not be able to have hands-on time with their patients. And I wonder how many of them could think back to some of the patients they've treated over the last few months and about the innovative ways they've done it and potentially offer 
a case study, you know, like a brief report or something to kind of show the rest of the world of, hey, this is the neat way I handled this person with chronic ankle instability, or this is the neat little trick that I found when I'm with this type of patient, because, you know, it's working for you, but nobody else outside your facility might know that it's happening and it could be the next big breakthrough for us. Yeah, there was actually a, a you know, if it was on Netflix or, but a, kind of a show to use telemedicine to solve these very complicated, very rare uh, diseases and conditions. So um, they kind of shared it um, through uh, the, you know, the, the website or the, I think it was linked to uh, a post, Washington Post or something. So this doctor would put out the case um, and basically it was visible for the whole world to see. And, and then people would input, that sounds just like what I have. That sounds what you know, this, and, and then, you know, and I got diagnosed by this doctor in this country with this and, you know, but it really led to the, some of these patients getting answers, which where they were seeking their information in the United States or somewhere else, they weren't getting those answers. Um, so maybe that could open up a door for us. Obviously it's a smaller area, but we always have these cases that we're just scratching our heads at and maybe, you know, you could create a platform like that for clinicians where they could kind of, hey, here's the patient I have and I'm struggling. Uh, anybody else seen this before? And they could help out. We have it a little bit on some social media mechanisms, but not to the, the broad sense of it. I think, you know, to create opportunities like that. Yeah. Does anybody else have any last thoughts before we wrap up for the day? No, this was fun. Thanks yeah. for having us. We'll have to do it again soon. Thanks for coming on today to have this discussion. Hopefully we'll have this type of discussion again, but perhaps not about a pandemic. But <laughs> thanks for taking the time today. I appreciate it. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Jeff. Stay well. If you're an athletic trainer who's looking for evidence-based practice CEUs, then please check out our six online evidence-based practice CEU courses available through Human Kinetics website. We'll have links to our summaries, the courses, and the article in our web, on our website and in our show notes. Remember, you can always follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or LinkedIn. We'll be back next week with more sports medicine research. Until then, stay well.